Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That statement has been passed around so much that it's almost become sort of a just a catchphrase or a cliche statement, but there is a great deal of truth in that statement about sin. We, it's a statement we all need to understand. We try to teach our young people that concept, whether we teach them that exact statement or not, but it's a statement we all need to understand. We live in a culture that I sometimes like to describe as the whatever culture. Just whatever. Whatever you want to do is fine. Whatever you want to say is fine. Whatever you want to say is fine. And I really don't have to care about anything. I just have to walk around with the idea of just whatever. And we see that in our culture so often. We're not really supposed to think that anything is that big of a deal. But if I want to think that something is a big deal, that's okay. But I shouldn't hold that off on you because all you have to look back at me and say is just whatever. That's the culture that we seem to live in. But in the midst of that culture, we have to continue to hold to the idea that sin is a big deal. Because every sin, no matter whether I or you might think it's a big sin or a small sin, is still a sin, and that is still a sin that sent Christ to the cross. It is still a sin that led Him to die in my place. But sin does not begin with just an action. Sin begins with temptation. And on Sunday nights this month, we are focusing on overcoming temptation. But we're thinking about that concept. Sin is alluring. There's a a temptation to it. Satan, our enemy, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, is very good at passing off things that are unrighteous as something that is alluring or tempting to us. He knows those things that he can set before us that will trip us up. And if he doesn't, he continues to try to set things before us. To try to trip us up and cause us to sin. I hope you have your Bible tonight. And I hope you'll turn back to that text we read a few moments ago from Joshua chapter 7. The account of the man that we know in scripture as Achan. In the midst of a terrible account in scripture. It is Achan who actually gives us an outline of the regression of sin. But before we look at his words and that that outline we see in his life. I want you to step back on me just for a moment and think about the setting. If you jump back one chapter in the book of Joshua to Joshua chapter 6, you'll recall that that chapter is one of those high points in the Old Testament where the children of Israel have crossed into the promised land and now they've gone to the city of Jericho. And we so often teach our children that story, don't we? 
Because, boy, it makes a great vacation Bible school story. The walls of Jericho falling down. And the amazing victory that the children of Israel won there in a very odd way. By just walking around the city for a week, basically. And then blowing those ram horns and shouting. And the walls just fall down. And the people win an amazing victory. And with that victory then behind them, as well as, of course, their faith in God, the people, rightly, are confident. And they begin what should have been a very quick path to victory throughout the promised land. The next battle they face is at the city we usually pronounce as Ai. I believe technically it's I, but I'm going to pronounce it Ai tonight. But if you pay attention to a biblical map, such as the one you see before you, I know it's zoomed in quite a bit. Basically, you are seeing the people basically march right to the heart of the promised land. And Ai was a much smaller place. And they should have just won an easy victory if they had won at Jericho as easily, if you will, as they did. But they lost. What could have possibly stopped them from winning that victory and victory after victory after victory? It was sin. God would not allow sin to go unpunished. And so the small band of soldiers who go to Ai are defeated, soundly defeated. And as events unfold, and, and the, they try to figure out why the army lost, the Lord said to them in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. And you may recall that because of that, the people are called out. And piece by piece, the group just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Until finally Achan is found out to be the one who has taken all of that stuff. In fact, down in verse 19 that we read a few minutes ago in our scripture reading. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And it's Achan's response to that statement. Where Achan admits to the sin. Admits to doing what's wrong. But he also provides for us in that response what we are calling tonight an outline of the subtle regression of sin. You might want to just reword it as the downward spiral of sin. Because what you see in what Achan not only does, but what Achan admits to is a frightening turn of events and a frightening regression of how sin will, as we said earlier, take us farther than we ever wanted to go. Notice that regression with me tonight. In the first place, Achan did nothing wrong at first because at first all you see is Achan saying, I saw. And I'd like to see the screens change. That would be a wonderful thing. But Achan first of all said, I saw. That's nothing wrong that he did. But it's where the process begins. He simply states, I saw among the spoil. And then he goes on to list the things we'll mention in a few moments. But remember that the army had been told to take the city, but then also to do something specific. Back in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 19, God had said to them, But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. You may recall there were times in the Old Testament when God's people were told to go in and just utterly destroy a place. At Jericho, they were to destroy the people, but there were certain items, certain things that God said, you take those, but you place them in the treasury. You take them for a specific purpose. And it's among that stuff or that spoil, as Achan put it, that these items are seen. Now, at this point, obviously nothing wrong has happened. 
Because other people would have seen some spoil as well. It's what we do at that moment when we see something. That's the dividing line. In the second place, Achan basically says, I valued. Now those words are not there, but I want you to see what he specifically says. Continue reading in verse 19. I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Have you ever wondered how Achan knew all that? Achan sees this stuff, but he begins to place a beauty and a monetary value on what he sees. Now, the cloak that he sees, the cloak from Shinar, we, I'm not saying we give him a pass there. We can maybe understand it. You know, if somebody were to walk up to, to, a, to a gentleman here at church that's maybe wearing a sport coat or something, you probably wouldn't know where that sport coat was from unless you kind of pulled, pulled back here somewhere or opened up the front and saw the label. And, oh, you got that at this store. That's not what we're talking about with this cloak that Achan sees among the spoil at Jericho. More than likely, because he was able to say it was from Shinar, it was because there was some specific color or some pattern or some uh, insignia on it that anybody would have known that's a cloak from Shinar. But he sees more than just where it's from. It's a beautiful cloak from Shinar. He's placing value on it. But then I've also wondered, how did he know how much silver there was? And how much gold there was? Should he have not just taken the stuff and brought in the treasure without so much being worried about weighing it out and figuring it out? All God said was, whatever it is, come bring it. You don't have to, you don't have to weigh it out yourself. But Achan, it seems, sort of takes the time or at least makes a guesstimate. That's, you know, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. He at least begins to place that value on it. Do you see where he's going? When Achan saw something, there's nothing wrong with that. But do you see how sometimes we can see something? And if we're not careful, we begin to place an earthly value on that thing. Maybe it is a financial value. Maybe it's what we might see as the pleasures of a sexual sin. Maybe it's what we might see as where popularity at all costs may take us. And we begin to place a value on those things that's very dangerous. That's where Achan goes next. In the third place, Achan says, I coveted. Achan may have sinned, he did, but at least he was honest about where the sin began. And it was a sin of the heart. He didn't start making a million excuses. And he even admitted to the sin starting within. He very clearly states, then I coveted them. The word coveted comes from a Hebrew word that at its most basic, most basic level just means to desire. But as you see on the screens, it also carries the idea of taking pleasure in something. There's nothing wrong with certain kinds of desires. But the idea behind being covetous, which by the way is the tenth of the Ten Commandments, you recall... But the idea behind covenant was you began to desire something more than you should. Paul in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 will very clearly state why this is wrong. As he would say, covetousness which is idolatry. And we think, wait a minute, how does that work? It works that way because when I begin to covet something, I am dethroning God from first place. And all of my desire now, or at least a great deal of my desire, is toward this thing or this object or this relationship or whatever it happens to be. Or 
I begin to desire what this thing or relationship or person could get for me more than I desire what God has already given me. And so covetousness is idolatry because it dethrones God from first place in our heart. Achan admitted not just to outward sin, although he would do that, but he admits to the inward sin of coveting. Folks, covetousness is a horrible sin because it eats away within us. And nobody else may even know that I have this temptation or this sin within me. We begin to be dissatisfied in our lives with with the goodness of God and the blessings of God. And it can just eat away at us if we allow it to. And we begin to rationalize it. Well, I'm not hurting anybody else. After all, nobody knows this. Well, of course, we know God does, but no other person knows this. I'm not hurting anybody else. That's extremely dangerous. But if covetousness is not repented of and taken care of, it will act. And so Achan regresses even further in the fourth place. When he says very simply, I took them. The word he uses for took, and I don't want to overstate this because it is a word that means to take something. But it was a Hebrew word that also could mean specifically to grasp something. And it could be, I'm just saying this for your own thinking. It could be that Achan was using a, a little bit stronger word to say that, so, sort of the, the quick gathering of something in. That may not be the case, but it seems to be the case here. Whether it is or not, Achan clearly shows This regression of sin. Because how often do we think, I can keep it all in? Nobody else is going to know. In Achan's case, it started with just seeing something, just placing value on something, and then it moved to to eating up his heart, that covetousness. And most of us can think of some time in our life, and maybe it's even in our lives right now, where we have some sin that's an inward sin, an inward temptation that's eating us up, and we think we can keep it all in. We just hide it in our thoughts, in our minds, in our hearts, and nobody else will ever know. But eventually that sin will manifest itself. In words, in attitudes, or in actions. For Achan, he just simply could not let this, if you will, this financial windfall go by. And so he grabbed, he took that cloak and this money, if you will. For others, it could be ending in an affair. That they think they could just keep all their activities to some online activities or just a few playful text messages. For some, it's taking money from the company after seeing and dwelling on little perceived gaps in the accounting of the company. And we could go on and on, of course, but we get the point. What is it that you may have that you think you have just neatly wrapped up in your mind and your heart, thinking it'll it'll never get out, all the while knowing that with just the right time and just the right, if you will, opportunity, it will come out. Sins that are within will destroy our souls. Sins that are without will destroy our lives. Achan found that out in a literal way, of course, as his life was taken from him because of his sin. Others may find that out through broken marriages, lost jobs, destroyed homes, strained or destroyed friendships, financial downfall. That's what happens when we can no longer hold that within and we, if you please, we take, we act on it. But amazingly, it didn't even stop there for Achan. Because fifth and finally, Achan says, I hid. When Achan took, when covetousness had taken over and Achan took these things, the realization of what he had done hit him. 
Don't you find it interesting that when they begin to call out the people and Achan is finally singled out and people realize it's him, do you not find it interesting that Achan doesn't go, yes, I took them and here they are. Let me me go and grab them here, here they are. No, what's he do? He tells them where they are and it's not exactly up on the mantle shelf, right? If you look specifically in verse 21, he says, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. It seems like he probably laid the cloak over on top and put the money underneath the cloak. Now, what kind of effort did that take? Achan took this this money and this cloak and then he dug a hole, it would seem, under his tent and put them in. I wonder why. There are at least two logical explanations. The first is the most obvious, and that would, of course, be just plain old guilt. The guilt of what he had done hit him, hit him, and now he had to hide this up. The problem, of course, is he couldn't really, really cover it up. I've always wondered what Achan thought he was going to do with this stuff, right? Because eventually something's going to be, it's going to be under his tent forever. Or, or he's going to be walking around town someday wearing a cloak and, hey, where'd you get that cloak? Uh, right? Or, man, when could you afford a whole new flock of sheep, Aiken? How did you afford that? Um, accounting error? I don't know. You know it, some, somehow this was going to come out. And so it seems that, that guilt had to play a part in this. But is it also not possible that Aiken hid the stuff because of suspicion of others? Here's what I mean by that. If Aiken was willing to take this stuff from the treasury of God, what was to keep somebody else from taking it from him? You see, once... Achan realized that he was capable of stealing. It had to hit him. Probably somebody else in that camp was able or willing to steal as well. So now I've got to hide it. And you become suspicious and fearful of everything because you have to just cover all of this up. But Achan, of course, tried to literally cover up the sin by just stashing away the evidence. So often we do the same thing, maybe not in a literal way with something, but we just try to hide it away. But if you stop and think about it, when we try to do that, we are to God, like so many of us as parents have seen in our children, we're like that little child who you asked, did you take the cookie? And of course, the child denies it. And all the while, there's crumbs all over their chin and chocolate dripping from their fingertips. To God, that's how silly it is when we try to hide our own sin. But folks, consider what Achan's regression looked like. It started out with something very innocent, just seeing what everybody else would have seen. When they took over Jericho, God had said there were going to be spoils of battle. There were going to be spoils of this war. Maybe not everyone was going to see stuff, but a lot of people were going to see things. But in that moment, when Achan chose to place the value on the stuff, his life changed forever. And his life would come to an end very quickly. But folks, Achan wasn't the only one. As we've said, what he does in Joshua chapter 7 is actually an astounding outline for the regression we see in sin over and over and over again. Think of Adam and Eve. They saw the fruit. They thought about what it could bring them, wisdom and those sorts of things. They wanted it. They picked it. They ate it. And then they tried to hide from God. Think of David when he saw Bathsheba. He thought about what a night of pleasure could bring him. He took her. He had that escapade with her. And then he tried to cover it up by having her own husband, Uriah, killed in battle. 
Think about Judas Iscariot who realized that Jesus was not going to be an earthly king. He wasn't going to be the one to overthrow the Roman Empire. And so he at least considered what 30 pieces of silver could bring him. He took it. He turned over the Lord. And then he tried to cover it up by first taking the money back. And then ultimately, of course, by taking his own life. But it's also what happens in our own lives if we allow sin to have hold. And if we do not overcome temptation. We are going to see things around us constantly. And what we do in those moments when we see things is what matters. We must, we must do what Paul would tell the Colossians to take every thought captive for Christ Jesus. But what we see when you start to think of the life of Achan is a living embodiment of what the half brother of our Lord would write in James chapter one. In James one verses 14 and 15, James said, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed By his own desire. Pause for a second. What's James saying? In part, what he's saying is, what tempts you may not necessarily tempt me. His own desire. What tempts me may not tempt you, but everyone has certain things that will draw them away. His own desire. Then he goes on to say this downward spiral. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Achan is a tragic but stunning example of that verse lived out in one man's life. But maybe tonight, it's what's happening in your own life. Maybe tonight you're harboring thoughts, desires, lusts that nobody else knows about and may never find out about in this life. But you haven't taken those thoughts captive for Christ. And they're growing and you know they are. We do far more than just see something we begin to place value we begin to place value only from an earthly perspective and we're coveting things or coveting people that we have no right to have those thoughts about and someone says oh but i would never actually well before you say that remember a couple of things remember first of all the aiken probably thought the same thing and so have countless people throughout scripture and Lives that we know. But more than that, we also have to remember that God sees more than just the outward act. God sees the heart. God does not just require of us a life of pure action. God requires of us a life of a pure heart and pure intentions. Bitterness and hatred and covetousness and lust and envy and other sins of the heart are so wrong. And if we are not careful, we will allow them to eat us up inside. And we will be farther than we ever wanted to go. And it will cost us more than we ever wanted to pay. And it will keep us longer than we ever wanted to stay. In fact, it will keep us out of heaven for all eternity. Tonight, may I just simply ask, do you need to have a heart cleansed, purified by the blood of Christ? Maybe tonight it's not some outward action that you've been doing that everybody knows about or you think everybody knows about. Maybe tonight you need to respond and say, I just have some things going on in my heart and I want to be forgiven of them and I want to take those thoughts captive for Christ because I don't want that downward spiral in my life. I want to step forward. I want to move back up toward God and I want to live for Him each day. 
The life of Achan is one that is a tragic example, but it is an example of what sin will do when we only think of the earthly and the short term and we fail to think of the eternal. Tonight, with what are you thinking? Just the earthly mind or the eternal mind? And tonight, if you need to give your mind as well as your life to Christ and think eternally, think fully of Him and allow Him to forgive you, will you come? Will we stand and sing to encourage you?